Years ago, Moody Monthly Magazine listed 12 reasons why a local pastor stopped attending athletic events. One, every time I went, they asked me for money. Two, the people with whom I had to sit didn't seem very friendly. The seats were too hard and not comfortable. The coach never came to call on me. The referee made a decision with which I could not agree. I was sitting with some hypocrites. They only came to see what others were wearing. Some games went into overtime, so I was late getting home. The band played some numbers that I had never heard before. The games are scheduled when I want to do other things. My parents took me to too many games when I was growing up. Since I read a book on sports, I feel that I know more than the coaches, anyhow. I don't want to take my children. They need to choose their favorite sport. Moody Monthly then closed with this line. With apologies to those who use these same excuses for not coming to church. Question. Actually, there will be two questions. Why? Should you regularly worship God? And then on a more personal note, who is sitting on the throne of your heart? Now, this is a key passage for us today because a major transition occurs. Do you recall our our key verse that gives us the outline to the book? I'm sure you do. 119, that's right. Remember the three time zones, past, present, and future? Jesus had said to John concerning the past, write the things which you have seen. That pertained to Revelation chapter 1 with the resurrected and glorified Christ. And then he transitioned to the present time and the things which are. That refers to the seven literal churches that John was addressing or writing to uh, that Jesus had a message for each one. And in the future, the things which will take place after this, pertaining to Revelation chapters 4 through 22. Now let your eyes zero in on the words after these things, and then at the end of chapter 4, verse 1, after this. Critical words. Critical words. Uh, the words after this or after these things, meta tauta, uh, occur ten times in the book of Revelation. When these words occur, followed by a verb of perception, in other words, words like I looked, I saw, and I heard, it indicates the order in which the parts of the vision are viewed by John. In other words, when you have, after these things, metatalta, with words such as, I saw, I heard, I looked, it shows that a new vision is given, but not that time has moved on chronologically. And this is key to understand with our study today. Notice in the beginning of verse 1. After these things, so we have metatauta, but then the verb of perception, I looked. Simply stated, John 
is given a new vision. It doesn't mean that time has moved on in the book of Revelation. There are four times, four times, when you have the words meta, tauta, after this or after these things without a verb, a perception. That's exactly what we have back in chapter 1 in verse 19. And when you have meta, tauta, without the verb of perception, it shows that time is moving on. Look at our key verse for the outline of the book 119. Jesus says to John, write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place. Now notice our two words after this, meta-tauta. In essence, what is happening when we see the words after this without the verb of perception, it shows that there is a chronological progression going on in the book. So now look at our first verse for our text today, chapter 4, verse 1. And observe the very last part of verse 1. Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. Now notice, after this, metatauta does not have a verb of perception. So this shows chronological progression. Uh, uh, similarly, turn with me to Revelation chapter 20 to give you another instance of this. So you can just see that it clearly shows time is moving on. In Revelation chapter 20, we have Satan bound for a thousand years. It's at this time that Christ's kingdom had been established on earth and we will rule and reign with him in that future time. But here in Revelation 20 in verse 3, Speaking of the angel coming down from heaven, and he cast him, that is Satan, into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, notice the words, metatauta, but there's no verb of per, uh, perception. After these things, he must be released for a little while. Again, Get this concept down. Metatauta with the verb of perception, simply a new vision. Metatauta without the verb of perception shows that time is moving forward. And that's what we have here. Now, let me go ahead and read to you. And if you would all please stand. And I'd like to read Revelation chapter 4 in its entirety since it's one block of thought. Revelation chapter 4. After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. Immediately, I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one who sat on a throne. And he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones. And on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white robes. And they had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne proceeded lightnings thunderings and voices seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne which are the seven spirits of God before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal 
And in the midst of the throne and around the throne were 24 creatures full of eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature like a calf. The third living creature had the face of a man. And the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within. And they do not rest day or night saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. Please be seated. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the progression of the book of Revelation, that now we are making a transition from the past with the resurrected and glorified Christ and a vision given to John, to present the seven churches that existed in John's day, and now we move to that future time. Father, I pray that you, the spirit of truth would continue to guide us into the truth we are about to study. May he turn on the light that we can understand the wonderful things before us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. After these things I looked, writes John, chapter 4, verse 1. Something should be clicking right now in your mind. So you're going, okay, there are words, metatalta, and there is a verb of perception I looked. So, John is receiving a new vision, but it doesn't show that time is moving forward. John continues, and behold, so stop and look. A door standing open in heaven. John will go to heaven to see what is going to transpire on the earth is fascinating because John is going to be permitted to write what he sees. Do you recall when Paul, the apostle, was caught up to paradise, we're told the third heaven in 2 Corinthians chapter 12? He was not permitted to write what he saw, but yet this is John's assignment. And it continues here, and the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet. Back in chapter 1, coming into verses 10 and 11, Jesus' voice is described similarly, like the sound of a trumpet. And now the command, come up here. Uh, this is not the rapture, by the way. John had to go back to the Isle of Patmos after this vision. However, the rapture does take place before the scene here. What we have in Revelation chapters 4 and 5 is that John is taken up into heaven and we see what transpires there in the heavenlies just before the tribulation period that we'll start studying about in chapter Six. Now, just to refresh your memories, the rapture occurs before the tribulation. To the church of Philadelphia, 
Jesus says, because you have kept my command to persevere. Remember what is said to one church applies to all. I also will keep you from the hour of trial, but this is not a local tribulation. It says, which shall come upon the whole earth to test those who dwell on the earth. The promise given to the church of Philadelphia that by way of extension is given to all believers in the church age is that we will be kept from that hour of trial, the tribulation, which will come upon the whole earth. Let's recall together as well the words, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to whom the church is. Seven times Jesus gives that statement but it specifically says what the spirit says to whom to the churches but when you go to revelation chapter 13 in verse 9 which is in the midst of the tribulation period there it says he who has an ear let him hear what's missing the words what the spirit says to the churches why the church is not in the tribulation and i would like to point out that the church doesn't appear again in the book of Revelation until chapter 22 in verse 16. It's when it is being addressed. So the people that are being spoken of in chapters 4 through 19 are either Israel or Gentiles, and there are times that they're called the saints, but never the church. I find that intriguing. And when we get over here to Revelation chapter 6 and verse 17, there the statement is made, for the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand. So the tribulation is a period of wrath. Yet, in 1 Thessalonians 1.10, the Thessalonian saints are told to wait for the Son who will return from heaven, who delivers us, recall we we saw the word deliver a physical bodily deliverance from what the wrath that is about to come we also had the same similar statement made in first thessalonians chapter 5 in verse 9 uh, that we are delivered from the wrath to come so the church will not go through the tribulation period. What we have before us in Revelation chapters 4 and 5 simply shows what happens in heaven just before the tribulation begins. But the church will not be in the tribulation period based upon the clear teachings of the word of God. So John has said, come up here, told come up here, and I will show you things which must take place. But notice now the words after this. Clearly time is progressing. The words after this do not have a verb of perception following. So what we are seeing is that now we have a transition from Revelation chapters 2 and 3 pertaining to the seven churches to a future time we are now entering the third time zone as outlined in revelation chapter 1 in verse 19 down in verse 2 john writes immediately i was in the spirit 
Back in chapter 1 and verse 10, he was in his spirit on the Lord's day, which is Sunday. Uh, John Walverd uh, here writes, though actually on the Isle of Patmos, he is experiencing being in the presence of God and seeing these glorious visions. John is given quite a revelation here. Continue in verse two where it says, and behold, see the word behold keeps appearing. Why? Stop and look, stop and think. Let me get your attention. A throne set in heaven. The Greek word for throne is thronos. Uh, It is used 61 times in the Greek New Testament, 61 times. Significantly, 46 of the 61 times appear here in the book of Revelation. The concept of the throne is associated with one who rules. And we're going to learn more about him now. Because it says, and one sat on the throne. Who is sitting on the throne in Revelation chapter 4. And here we're going to see it is referring to God the Father. Come down to chapter 4 and verse 8. It says, The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within, and they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 but notice to whom they're addressing these words, Lord God Almighty, a clear title for the Father, the all-powerful one who was and is and is to come. God the Father is on the throne. Let me just demonstrate this a little more fully. Come over to chapter 5. And let your eyes come down to verses 6 and 7. Still continuing the same scene that is transpiring in Revelation 4. 5, 6. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, that's Jesus Christ, as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. So if you have Jesus Christ, the lamb, coming to the one on the throne who is holding the scroll, then it's clear. The Father is on the throne and Christ is standing there described as a lamb in his presence. Back with me to chapter 4. Now down to verse 3. And he who sat there was like jasper and a sardius stone in appearance. Observe the word like. Like jasper. It's not a modern uh, day jasper which is opaque. It's, it's not clear. Uh, Revelation 21.11 says that the jasper is clear as crystal like a diamond maybe it's a diamond the clearness might show the purity of God and maybe that's the symbolism that is used here then we also have the sardius like a ruby Um, perhaps it represents the blood of Christ that was shed because of redemption because this is the color that is given. What is so intriguing is that when you look at the jasper and the sardius, uh, they were the first and last um, stones that the high priest wore on his breastplate according to uh, Exodus chapter 28. And we continue. 
And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. Uh, this is a light green rainbow. Perhaps symbolizing that there is mercy in the midst of the judgment that is about to be dispensed. Your mind should take you back to Genesis chapter 9. The count of creation going on to the destruction of the earth. And you recall what God pointed out to Noah is that he said his rainbow in the sky as a symbol that he will never again destroy the earth by a flood. The word for rainbow back in uh, Genesis chapter 9 is the Hebrew word kesheth. kesheth. It's the same word as a bow in Genesis 27.3 that refers to Esau's hunting bow. The idea is you have the bow without the arrow, which shows God's mercy. He would not destroy the earth again by a flood. And here, even in the midst of judgment, and it's going to be a severe judgment, Jesus says, unless those days were shortened, in other words, unless the tribulation went on and on and on, no flesh would survive. But yet in the middle, of all this judgment, God's mercy will be extended. You say, how? Well, in Revelation chapter 7, we're going to see 144,000 witnesses that'll go throughout the earth sharing the gospel. And then in Revelation chapter 11, there'll be two witnesses who will minister for three and a half years. And you take it a step further in Revelation chapter 14. We have an angel that'll be flying in the sky preaching the everlasting gospel. So, in the midst of severe chastisement and judgment, you will have God's mercy being extended to the inhabitants of the earth. Moreover, I'd like to read you a quote by Charles Ryrie. Unlike the sight of rainbows on earth, of which we usually see only a part, this heavenly rainbow completely encircles the throne of God, thus emphasizing the completeness of his faithfulness. Yeah. God extends mercy. As we continue, it says, and around the throne were 24 uh, thrones. So you have these 24 thrones around the key throne where God is ruling. And on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting. Who are the 24 elders who rule with God? Some say they're angels, but angels won't rule with God. Better to see the 24 elders as representing the church. 24 is a key number. Would you turn with me to 1 Chronicles, please? 1 Chronicles chapter 24. And we will see that the number 24 is used of 24 groups of priests. In, in other words, the 24 is representative of the larger body of priest. So let me read this to you. First Chronicles 24, 4. 
There were more leaders found in the sons of Eliezer, remember Eliezer and Ithamar, sons of Aaron, the high priest, than of the sons of Ithamar, and thus they were divided. Among the sons of Eliezer were 16 heads, do to math here with me please, of their father's houses, and eight heads of their father's houses among the sons of Ithamar. So we have 24 groups of priests, but they represent the entire priesthood. I believe here the 24 elders is also symbolic of the entire church that will be ruling with Christ at this time, sitting on the thrones. And by the way, the word elder that is used here, think of it as a very much a New Testament term. In Acts chapter 15, when there was a dispute about salvation and what it consists of, who were sent from the churches? In Acts 15 and verse 6, it says, Now the apostles and elders came together to consider the matter. Uh, The Greek term here, elder, presbyteros, we have the Presbyterian church named after this word, is only used of people in the New Testament, never of angels. And then also, these elders represent a redeemed people. Come over with me to Revelation chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. Revelation 5, 8 and 9. Now, when he had taken the scroll, because Christ takes the scroll out of the hand of the Father, The four living creatures and the 24 elders, there they are again, fell down before the lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain a clear reference to the lamb having died and have redeemed. But notice the word here, us. See, angels aren't redeemed. The church of Jesus Christ is. You have redeemed us, says the 24 elders, because we were saved through the blood of Christ. You have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. So what I see is that the 24 elders here represent the church. So you have God the Father on the throne, 24 thrones around, symbolic of the entire church that is in heaven with the Lord at this time. And how are they described back here in Revelation chapter 4? Clothed in white robes, and they have crowns of gold on their head. The word crown here is not where we get the English term diadem a kingly crown, as we will see in Revelation 19 and verse 12. This is from Stephanos, the plural is used here, Stephanus, but it it means a victor's crown. It's the idea of a crown given to an overcomer. And remember, who are we? To the one who overcomes, I will give. Remember those statements to the churches? The overcomer, according to 1 John 5, 4 and 5, refers to the born again believer. 
Now, some people try to say, well, this also includes Old Testament Israel here. But I want to remind you that the Old Testament saints were promised the kingdom. They will not be resurrected until after the tribulation period so that they can enter into the millennial reign with Christ. Uh, Let me just show this to you. Uh, Going back with me, please, to the Old Testament book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 26. Isaiah chapter 26. And as you're turning Isaiah chapter 26, you have to uh, have a separation here. Uh, the church was something new. It was not found in the Old Testament. In Matthew 16, 18, Jesus says, I will, future tense, build my church. There were certain promises given to the church age saints, but there were also promises given specifically to Israel. And do you remember what the disciples' key trouble was when they were with Jesus? They kept looking for the kingdom. All they wanted to do was rule and reign. Well, they got that concept from the Old Testament. And yes, one day, for instance, the apostles are going to rule and reign with Christ, but over the 12 tribes of Israel. But that'll be, again, in the millennial kingdom. Here we go. Isaiah chapter 26, verses 19 and 20, clearly... Isaiah is speaking of resurrection by our text. Verse 19, your dead shall live. Together with my dead body, they shall arise. Awake and sing, you who dwell in dust, for your dew is like the dew of herbs, and the earth shall cast out the dead. Come, my people. See, he's speaking to Israel. Come, my people, enter your chambers a reference to death here, and shut your doors behind you. Hide yourselves, as it were, for a little moment until what? The indignation is past. The indignation, I believe, is a reference to the tribulation period. The Israelites, Old Testament saints, will not be resurrected till after the tribulation so that they can then enter into the millennial kingdom that was promised to them. So it's best to take the 24 elders as representative of the church. And Daniel chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, says the same thing. Uh, when you have Michael the archangel standing up there in, Revel- in uh, Daniel chapter 12, he's standing up, it talks about at the end time, the tribulation period. But then the saints are resurrected to shine like the stars of heaven after that period of time. Uh, very clear that there's a distinction of the two groups, Israel and the church. Back with me, please. Revelation chapter 4, coming down into verse 5. Imagine the throne room of God and all this activity. And from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunderings, and voices. This shows God's righteous judgment on the earth. Similarly, you'll have lightnings, thunderings, and voices with the seventh seal judgment. That'll be in chapter 8 and verse 5. With the seventh trumpet judgment, chapter 11 and verse 19, and then the seventh bowl judgment in Revelation 16, 18. Our text continues. And there were seven lamps of fire. Notice the number seven here, the number of completion or perfection. Burning before the throne, which are 
the seven spirits of God. A, re- a reference here to God's Holy Spirit. We tracked some of these things before back in chapter 1 and verse 4, coming into chapter 4 as well. And now with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit. So, in the midst of all these judgments, seals, trumpets, bowls, who is involved? Well, God the Father. He's the one on the throne. God the Son, he's the one who snatches the scroll out of the hand of the Father. And now we see also God the Holy Spirit. Verse 6. Before the throne, there was a sea of glass like crystal. Most likely reflecting the glory of God. And in the midst of the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front of and in back. Uh, these creatures really had stuffed eyes, is what it says. Most likely referring to cherubim. Back from Ezekiel chapter 1 and chapter 10, there were protectors of God's holiness. Remember when Adam and Eve were put out of the garden? It was the cherubim that were protectors that they could not enter back in, as Genesis chapter 3 in verse 24. They also are over the Holy of Holies with the mercy seat. So interesting where you find the cherubim. Verse 7, we are given four creature that seem to parallel the four Gospels. Notice here you have the lion, the calf, or an ox, as you can translate the word calf as well, man, and eagle. Think about the four Gospels with me. Very interesting here. You have the lion, And what do you have in the book of Matthew? Jesus as king. He's the lion from the tribe of Judah. Then you go to the book of Mark, a calf or an ox. Ox is often used to show someone that is a servant. And Christ in the book of Mark is characterized as the servant. For the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And then man, when you work through the 24 chapters of Luke, the humanity of Jesus is emphasized. Jesus more often self-identifies with the title Son of Man than any other identification. Very interesting. Man. And then you have eagle. And we go to our fourth gospel. What do we have? The deity of Jesus Christ, that these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. Verse 8, and the four living creatures, each having six wings. Uh, the seraphim, we call them from Isaiah chapter 6, the word seraph from the Hebrew means burning one, uh, also had six wings. So I'd like to point out to you, this is really important theologically, some angels do have wings, okay? Notice that, that they were full of eyes around and within. Uh, full here is from Gemno, and it has the idea of being stuffed full. The multiplicity of their eyes, perhaps, since they're around the throne of God, show God's omniscience, that he knows everything. Perhaps also is that God is vigilant. He watches over his creation. Perhaps that's the, the, the meaning with all these eyes. And they do not rest day or night, saying. Now, by the way, 
It doesn't mean that they just habitually praise God and do nothing else. Uh, these same beings are described in Revelation 6, 1, 6, 3, 6, 5, and 6, 7 of giving invitations. <laughs> and we'll study that in the future. They are sent, they are dispatched by God to give out invitations. And again, we'll look at that. So this isn't their only function, but what are they saying? Holy, holy, holy. Uh, the majority of Greek manuscripts actually has the word holy nine times. Like the seraphim, though, the three times in Isaiah chapter 6, they cry out about God's perfect holiness, that there is none like him. He is to be adored Why he is Lord God Almighty. The one who sits on the throne is all-powerful. He has absolute authority over the universe. We know that he is eternal because who was, right? Continuous action in past time. He's always existed and is presently and is to come. And then in verse 9, whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever. John Walvords writes, the emphasis of their praise is on the divine attributes and worthiness of God. As these angelic beings are around the throne, they marvel at the majesty of God. Verse 10, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. This is the first of six times that the elders who represent the church fall down and worship either the Father or the Son. In Revelation 5.8 we'll see that they fall down and worship the Son. So if they worship, they must believe that Jesus is also God. And this is what they do. This is the first of six times and they cast their crowns before the throne now i was always taught that we serve god and we get sort of trophies and then we take our trophies our crowns and at this time we cast them before the lord's feet so in other words as we go throughout all of eternity we're all just equal we've labored for god here on earth but we have nothing that is permanent as far as a reward and i don't view um this text to mean that uh years ago i remember when i was studying greek one of the books um that i worked through was the intermediate <clears throat> new testament greek a linguistic and exegetical approach sounds very important doesn't it? by richard a young and he uh gives some exegetical analysis on the statement here in revelation 4 he says or writes, I should say, the laying of the crowns before God's throne, Revelation 4.10, is a literary symbol depicting worship. The worshipers recognize that the rewards were achieved through divine enablement and thus rightfully belong to God. I don't believe we're going to get some temporary crown that we just cast at the feet of the Lord and then that's it. That's not what the scripture emphasizes. And let me just take you to two scriptures. The first one is over in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. When Paul 
addresses the Corinthian saints about the resurrected body. He goes on to point out in 1 Corinthians 15, 41 about the body, it's like the sun, the moon, the stars, that they differ in their glory. But then Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, 42, so also is the resurrection of the dead. What is given to the resurrected saint, depending on his and her faithfulness of Christ, is a greater degree of glory that I believe remains with you forever. Daniel chapter 12 shows exactly the same thing about how we will shine forever and ever and ever. So I do believe this is a literary symbol. In other words, we are acknowledging before the throne that all things have come from God. But it's not as if we lose our glory because it's a temporary crown and that's all we get. These saints, all of us, the church age, will acknowledge that all we have came from Jesus Christ. But yet, there will be a degree of glory that each one is given based upon his or her faithfulness in the service of Christ. It says here, you are worthy, speaking to the Father. They are giving him the worth-ship he deserves to receive what? Glory and honor and power. Notice the emphasis on the Father's perfections. For you created all things. The implication is clear. If God created all things, including people, he has the right to judge all things and people. And by your will they exist and were created. Colossians 1.17 puts it this way. And he is before all things, speaking of Christ, and in him all things consist. Let's go back to our original two questions. One, why should you regularly worship God? And number two, who is sitting on the throne of your heart? Let me give you now the main point that will answer these questions. Regularly worship the creator and maintainer of life. Regularly worship the creator and maintainer of life. We are daily to walk with the living God and now to worship him. In the book of Psalms, way, way back in the Old Testament, Psalm chapter 1. This is a great psalm that introduces the 150 bodied uh, chapters of the Psalms. But think about this, beginning with me in Psalm 1, 1. Blessed, you know, happy, Asherah, the, the Hebrew term here, is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight. This is what he leans forward to, is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. And notice the promise here. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper, shall be caused to prosper we have been created by the almighty to daily walk with him worship him and give him the glory that he is worthy of this should be our everyday passion but then may i point out to you 
that weekly, as John was in his spirit on the Lord's day, Revelation chapter 1 and verse 10, we are to worship the Lord on his special day. The day that Christ conquered death, Sunday. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25 says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day, see the day of Christ's return approaching. We need each other. We are called to support each other in our community, which is called the church, the local church, representative of the universal church. We are not just to worship God individually and shut down the other saints. But corporately, we are to assemble and not forsake the assembling or gathering of ourselves together. Christ died to build his church. He said even the gates of Hades, the gates of death, would not prevail against. His own death didn't stop the church from coming into existence. And today we are in the church age. It had begun back in Acts chapter 2 with the Spirit of God coming to live within the believer. And that same Spirit stays with us until the day of redemption. That's Ephesians 4.30. And we are now to assemble regularly to worship our God and acknowledge him for who he is. So, as we look at Revelation chapter 4 and what will transpire in the future, shouldn't we get our worship on now? Should we not daily worship privately the living God? And then should we not also get together corporately and sing songs to him and praise his name and listen to the word and pray? It's what we are called to do. Remember, regularly worship the creator and maintainer of life. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father. I just love this text. It just reveals your holy nature and that you are worthy to be worshipped. You have created us in order to acknowledge who you are. And I pray that we would take this very serious and that we would daily get into your presence and give you the praise and adoration you deserve. And I also ask that as a church, we would be faithful to keeping that first day of the week, the day that the early church assembled to give their offerings, the day that they assembled to have communion, that we would just acknowledge on that day that the Lord is risen indeed. Help us to be faithful. So one day, as we stand before your throne, we will know we had given you our best because you gave us your best through your son. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.